Portions of this podcast may not be suitable for children. It's real-life stories and sometimes PG-13. Love is something more stern and splendid than mere kindness. C.S. Lewis You're listening to the Think Twice TV podcast. Hear true life stories, portable insight, and engaging messages. On this show, we'll think twice about life, faith, and just what could be possible when the two are combined. Broadcasting from the beautiful Great Lakes state of pure Michigan, here's your host, Dan Henderson. Hey, thanks for joining us on the Think Twice TV podcast. There was a song by the group DC Talk that said, love is a verb. And it is. It's an action word. Anyone could say it, but to show it, it takes a real investment. Another quote I like is, motherhood, all love begins and ends there. In this episode, we're going to hear from women who struggled in life, but ultimately found love, acceptance, and truth through Jesus Christ. Our first story is from Dina. All the years that I've known Dina, I've never once saw her be anything but a loving, genuine mother to her three children and three stepchildren. Later, I found out that she had it very rough as a kid, and because of that, she needed the grace of God to break the pattern with her own children. Uh, Let's listen to Dina's story. I was born into a family. My mom was married and my dad was married. They just were not married to each other. So I was a product of adultery. And when I was little, I had no contact with my dad as he had another family. My mom resented me being alive and as an adult told me that she couldn't stand the sight of me when I was a child. And this was reflected in the way that I was treated. My birthdays weren't celebrated. I was different than my brothers and sisters, emotionally treated differently. I ended up moving out of the house when I was 15 years old because my mom had said follow the rules or get out and already in a teenage rebellious thinking I could do anything state and my feelings of not being wanted or needed in the family I chose that as she was kicking me out at 15 when actually I think she just wanted me to follow the rules so I left home when I was 15 And I moved into the family of my first husband. I became pregnant at 17 and had a beautiful baby girl. My boyfriend at the time, my future husband, was an alcoholic and I knew this, but I thought that if I loved him enough that I could change him. His alcoholism became worse and worse to the point where he had drunk drivings with the kids, he had multiple DUIs, he was released from the army on a less than honorable discharge. We moved back to Michigan after being stationed at Fort Benning and we became divorced. Afterwards, he um, was in a car accident with the kids and flipped the car. His blood level was 3-1. His parental rights were terminated and later he died of alcohol poisoning. My second husband, was an adulterer um, who liked many other women. Um, And then he turned to my daughter, who was 12, and he liked her too. And when I found out what was happening, I also divorced him. I became a Christian in 1998. 
I had went to a House of Horrors event, which was like a haunted house of reality. And at this event, I was given the choice of choosing life or choosing death, what Satan had for me. And I chose life. And I remember my life being different, like my eyes being opened and me being hungry for God's word and me feeling wanted and accepted and enough for the first time in my life. There was one incident in particular that uh, I was driving and I was really close to Jesus in, in my walk. And I remember I was driving and I felt really strongly I needed to turn my car right. And then from there, I just felt like I had directions. I didn't know where I was going or what the plan was, but I really felt strongly that I was supposed to do this. My sister became a Christian very recently to me, and she was going to a church, but I didn't know where it was. So as I'm turning and following these internal instructions, I pull into a church and I see my sister's car. And it's a tiny church. And I remember saying out loud, God, I'm not going in there. That church is small and they're gonna all look at me. It's gonna be awkward. But I felt I was supposed to go into that church and I was obedient and I trusted. And when I walked into that church, my sister was just sitting down from standing up. And there was an audible gasp when I walked in as my sister had just stood up and gave a testimony about her and I and our relationship and how God had brought us to him around the same time. And, and then as soon as she was done and started to sit down, I walk in the church, which I didn't know what I was doing, but God did know what he was doing. And I will always remember that as a God's grace and God showing off and showing up that day to deepen my faith and that of my sister. I was a single mom. I had two teenagers. I started a new job, and I remember thinking, if I ever get married again, it won't be with anyone that drinks or smokes, and they'll be a Christian before they say a word. I'll know that they are a Christian before I even hear it or get a clue of what kind of music they listen to. I'll just know by their actions. And I did find someone like this, and he became my third husband. And when we got married, the family blended very hard. It was very hard. We had four teenagers and, and different ways of parenting and different backgrounds. Our first years together were very troubling, very hard, but we remembered the faith that you had shown both of us, who we belonged to and who was the center of our marriage. We made it through. And now, 12 years later, our family is intact. My faith is stronger. Through addiction of one of our sons, I came to know you deeper. And now I am in a ministry called Celebrate Recovery to minister to other moms and hurting people that have been affected by addiction and, um, and codependency. The trials I had in my life and the child abandonment emotionally and physically from my dad, it hurt me, but it made me who I am today. And I am thankful that I'm now able to have a very good relationship with my mom, who I forgave with God's grace. I, I know that there are many people that are teenage moms, that are moms of teenagers, 
that have become addicted or young adults that have became addicted. I know that there's girls out there that have been hurt by men or other adults that meant them to take their purity. These things are things I can relate to and I pray that one day my story will make a difference and I feel that through Celebrate Recovery I am able to help moms that have struggled and are currently struggling with kids with addiction and with moms that are single moms that don't know what to do, wives that are married to alcoholics and people that think they're not good enough because their husband seeks other women. There is hope. There is another day. Over the mountain you have better days and God is using this hard time in your life to refine you and to use you for his glory. Everything that I have been through has been painful and some of it has been wonderful, but both the wonderful and the painful can be used for God's glory. You know, it just goes to show you that even though our past was rough, by choosing to walk with Jesus Christ, our lives are changed and we are healed. That past doesn't have to repeat itself. Now, we're far from perfect, but we're also far from where we started. The song that you heard at the end of that testimony was from a husband and wife musical team called Brad and Rebecca. You can look them up and find them at bradandrebeccamusic.com. Our next story is from Tacoma. She's well-known in her community, working as a news anchor in the Atlanta area. Let's listen in to Tacoma's story. In 1976, my mother made the mistake of telling a judge she was pregnant. In Indiana at that time, you couldn't get a divorce while pregnant. And my mother desperately wanted out of her marriage to my father. She was so desperate, she and my father concocted a plan to get rid of me. They applied for a credit card to pay for the abortion. They waited and waited. And those familiar with this type of scenario know that there are deadlines involved. The credit card came in the mail one day after the legal deadline for Indiana. My mother tricked her father into taking her to the neighboring state where the laws were a little more relaxed. Unfortunately for her, he caught on and promptly turned the car around. So my mother did what any woman does when they want a job done. She tried to do it herself. She threw herself downstairs, drank 
disgusting potions, ran around the track in the dead of summer, even tried a method she heard would surely work involving a coat hanger. But none of it worked. When she was six months pregnant with me, her best friend and my future godmother said, Karen, it looks like this baby is just stuck to you. It was then my mother realized the weight of her actions, and she prayed to God, Lord, if you make this child healthy, I'll praise you every time I look at her. I was born September 3rd, 1976, healthy and happy. I didn't learn of this story until much later when my mother wanted to emphasize how much purpose my life is destined to have. Upon hearing it, I loved her even more. Because there was not one day of my childhood I felt unwanted or unloved. I'm enjoying the precious time God has given me. If God didn't want you here, you wouldn't be. So while you're here, seek God's will for your life. There's a reason he insisted you were born. Jeremiah 31.3 I have loved you with an everlasting love, and I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. Jeremiah 1.5 Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. If you have suffered through an abortion, there are loving women at Rachel's Vineyard that would like to help. Um, visit rachelsvineyard.org or click the link in the show notes. Anyone can count the seeds in an apple, but only God can count the number of apples in a seed. It's time for the absolute basics of the Christian faith from seedbed.com. Answering those burning questions like who is God, what is salvation, and many more. So, let's take a bite. The absolute basics of the Christian faith. What is the church? So as we said before, before there was anything, there was a family. The family of the triune God. And this means that love is the most basic fact of the universe. But the Trinity freely chose to create so there could be more love. It created humans. But humans took the gift of life and the gift of freedom and turned it against the giver. We, humans, rebelled and disrupted our relationship with God and incurred the penalty of death. But God still loved us and wanted us to be family again. So the Father sent his Son to become a man, to establish a new family. And being a Christian means being a member of God's family, with Jesus in charge. It means living in God's house and learning God's ways. And if you're part of a family, that means there isn't just a parent, but also a lot of brothers and sisters around. There are other family members you live with. And the word that we use for the family of God, with all these different people in it, is the church. And just like living with your own brothers and sisters, life in the church can be tough because there are so many different kinds of people. There are people who have been Christians for a long time and brand new Christians, and there are old people and young people. There are talkative people, quiet people, charming people, smelly people. But they're all part of God's family. There's an image that the Bible uses a number of times to capture what it means for us to be the church. 
The Apostle Paul, in a letter to the Corinthians, compares the church to a body. The body is a unit, Paul writes, though it is made up of many parts. Teeth and ears and spines do very different things. If they were at a party, they might not have a lot to talk to each other about. But they're all still part of the same body, and still important. So the family of the church needs all kinds of different people to be complete. It needs young people and old people and talkative people and quiet people and all the rest. But there's another reason that Paul compares the church to Christ's body, in that it's through the church that Christ continues the work of the Father in the world. Through the church, Christ is present on earth. The Absolute Basics of the Christian Faith, from Seedbed.com. You're listening to the Think Twice TV podcast. Many of the stories you've heard today are available in video format at our website, www.thinktwicetv.com. Find original videos, true life stories, and content to help you grow your faith at thinktwicetv.com. It's time for a bottle of Bill's Wisdom, a short single-serving message of wisdom from our friend, Pastor Bill Leach. Psalm 1, I better get to it. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked, they're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The godly person is like a tree whose roots go deep into the ground. They're not just deriving their moisture from the soil around them, but they've been able to tap into underground streams that are there no matter what the circumstances whether it's the heat of summer or the cold of winter, whether there's rain or no rain, whether it's a dry season, it doesn't matter. There's a stability there. The opposite is chaff, which is blown and driven by every circumstance. The godly person is meditating on God, sinking his or her roots deep into his word, his character, his promises, and they're drawing hope, meaning, joy, and strength from God, from his word, not from circumstances. It doesn't matter whether they're succeeding or failing in their, in their work life, or whether people are approving of them or not, whether they're being criticized, whether they're, uh, nor uh, their feeling of the opinions of others, they're not affected by all of that. It's God, who he is, what he has done, what he has promised. That is the basis of their lives. Their their roots go down deep into God. And meditation is the way for that person, for you and me, to actually draw the sustenance and nourishment from it. And a person who can do that is not subject to the circumstances, the vicissitudes of life, to use the old word, Uh, We're not subject to that because our joy and our meaning and our life is coming from God and from his word. The other person, the one whose chaff is like the person in verse 1, the person who 
does walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. The mockers are the disdainful, the sophisticated, the in-crowd. Psalmist says you're either trying to put your roots down into the world and saying here is where I'm going to get my meaning in life. Here's where my hope is going to come from. Here's where I will derive my sense of self-worth or you're going to or you're going to get it from the word. If you're getting it from the world, from the mockers, then the psalmist says you're chaff. He, he doesn't even give you credit for being a little tree, a tiny shrub. He says that you're chaff. You have no roots at all. One commentator I read referenced a, a book by the Czech novelist Kundera. The title of the book was The Unbearable Lightness of Being. And if you're getting your, you're deriving your hope from the world, he says that's the essence of the contemporary person because if there's no God, then life doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you do, how you live. It's the, it's the unbearable lightness of being. That's, that's the promise. Let me move on. How it's practiced. The psalmist gives us four hints tells us the place of it, the essence of it, the object of it, and the method of it. First, the place. Psalm 1 is the first psalm. Psalm 1, first psalm. I, I know that's, a, that's an, a scintillating revelation to you, you know, and you're thinking, you're thinking, duh. <laughs> but it is important. It is the introduction. The Psalter is the prayer book of the Bible. It's where we learn to pray. It's where we learn to worship. It's, it's where we learn to praise God. And for the most part, the Psalms are all prayers, praises, statements of worship. And by studying the Psalms, we really learn how to pray. We develop our prayer and praise vocabulary. And so what Psalm 1 is doing is it is, it's not accidentally the first Psalm. I believe it's been strategically placed there by the Holy Spirit as the introduction and meditation then is the doorway to prayer. Now if you're reading an introduction to a book, a nonfiction book, you expect the introduction, those pages, to tell you something about what you're going to learn. Psalm 1 is the introduction to the Bible's book on prayer, so you can expect it to teach you something about prayer. But if you look carefully at Psalm 1, there's no mention of prayer. It's not a prayer. It is a meditation. In fact, it's a meditation about meditation. It is a meditation encouraging us to get ready to pray. Eugene Peterson, one of the great experts on the Psalms, he's also the author of the, um, of, uh, the contemporary uh, paraphrase uh, of the scriptures. He says, because Psalm 1 is the introduction to the whole book of prayer, and that is a meditation, then meditation, he says, must be the key to prayer. What he's saying is that unless you meditate before you pray, your prayers will not be very great. They will not be very effective. They won't be particularly fervent or life-changing. I have a number of uh, quotes here from great people about meditation, and, and for, the, uh, for the PowerPoint, we'll just skip right through them. I uh, won't, won't take the time for them, but 
But I will, I will express this wonderful image that Henry Nouwen, Henri Nouwen probably is the way you say it, French, uh, has this image that I identify with. He says, my mind is a banana tree filled with monkeys constantly jumping up and down. And uh, that's my mind, especially when I go to prayer. All these, all these monkeys are there, you know, trying to, uh, trying, to, trying to stop me. But meditation is the bridge to prayer. It's the key. When you study the Bible, which is a discipline, you're learning what truth is. When you study, the object is Scripture. When you pray, the object is God. You're talking to Him. You're praising Him, worshiping Him, loving Him, sharing with Him your needs, communicating ideas and thoughts and feelings, desires and hopes. But the object is communication to God. The object of meditation is actually not the Bible or God. It's taking what you just read in the Bible, what you've learned cognitively, and working it into your heart so that when you go to God and pray, you have something to praise God for and thank God for and, and worship God about and talk to God about. Meditation is distinguished from the study of the Word because the Word is all about giving us the truth. Prayer is about communion with God, but meditation is preparing us for that communion. One of the most familiar psalms, Psalm 103, is also a meditation, and it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. Notice who the psalmist is talking to. He's talking to himself. It's sort of a bit schizophrenic. You know, roses are red, violets are blue. I'm schizophrenic and I am too. And, and he's talking to himself. He's saying, now self, bless the Lord. Self, don't forget his benefits. Remember, think about these things. In Bible study, the object is the Bible. In prayer, the object is God, but in meditation, you're taking what you've learned cognitively and what you want in a little while to talk to God about. You're working it into yourself. You're saying, I want all that is within me be, to be affected by what I know here in my head. You're taking something you believe and saying, I'm going to connect this to my emotions. I'm going to connect it to my will. I'm going to connect it to everything in and about my life. All that is within me is going to bless your holy name. I'm going to look at all of your benefits. I'm going to be moved by them. I'm going to be excited about them. I'm going to be filled with awe and wonder. I'm going to allow your truth, the truth of your word, to soak my mind, my heart, my soul, and transform me. Prayer without meditation is like getting in your car and pushing the pedal to the metal and trying to get to 100 miles an hour as fast as you can. It's not good for the engine. And it's not good for your soul. We have to warm ourselves up. We have to be affected before we pray. The essence of meditation is making the word flesh. It's taking something you, you know cognitively and saying, I'm going to flesh this out. I'm going to bring it into my emotional and volitional life, into my heart, and into my will. In a 
my heart. It means I'm going to think about it. I'm going to roll it around in my mind until it impacts my emotions. And then I'm going to think out the implications for how I live my life and my family, my job, my ministry, and how I relate to people. On the next episode of the Think Twice TV podcast, we'll be featuring Daniel's story, Restoration of a Renegade. Daniel was a former enforcer and drug runner for a violent biker gang within the state of Michigan. We'll hear all about his story on episode 12 of the Think Twice TV podcast. Hey, thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate if you could share this with your friends, family, and uh, via social media feeds. Thanks a lot. This venture is sponsored by Media Messengers Evangelistic Association. Revealing the love and power of God through media. www.mediamessengers.org If you like the show, follow us on social media and please help us reach more people. All our social links are in the show notes. While all our stories are true, some of them have been read by voice actors.